Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. And tonight we've got the second edition of our None But the Brave archive series reviews. This time it's for the Christmas 2023 release, a show from the Meadowlands recorded July 15th, 1999. It's a curious selection for a number of reasons, which we'll get to a little later. But first, Flynn, let's get to what you thought of this show, which you attended. Well, what I thought at the time was that it was it was good. It was okay. It was exactly what I was expecting. This was basically, not basically, it was the Model A set list that he had been doing throughout the past month or so in Europe, opening with My Love, having where the bands are in the post-10th Avenue slot. And then they had the Model B, which was the the July 18th show, which was opening with I Want to Be With You, and then having uh, Loose Ends in the post-10th Avenue spot, as well as a flip-flopping of Backstreets for Jungle Land and, and a couple of others. And this was not one I was expecting to be released, but I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying it too. I, it's not a show I attended. I had heard not great things about the show, in all honesty, from a variety of people, including, I believe, your seatmate called it perhaps the worst show on the reunion <laughs> tour. I don't agree with that. As I said, it was just what I expected. It was the first night. We all figured he'd be digging deeper as the stand wore on, and, and we were right. And But I thought they came out strong. They they came out ready, and, and they had to be ready. It was being the first two songs were being broadcast live on VH1 across the country. Yeah, that was big. And, of course, I was in L.A. watching the broadcast and very sorry that I wasn't there. But you could tell there was quite an energy in the building. I think it's also important here to note that this was the first – proper E Street Band show in the United States in nearly 11 years. Uh, obviously, in 95, they did Sony, Tramps, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but those don't count, just like the rehearsal shows really don't count for, from the spring in, in Asbury. And uh, as I said, this show was them playing the Model A set that they've been doing all spring in Europe. It's a better listen than I thought when I first saw what the show was. You have some really nice versions of songs early in the tour. So the river's a a little bit different than it was certainly by the garden. The murder incorporated also the same thing. And one of the things that I really liked listening to it was the mix, I think, by Altschiller is, again, really high quality. Uh, You can hear the guitars. There's a lot of separation where the bands are. It's the only performance from the reunion tour that's been released so far. That, I think, comes off very well, better than I expected, because the truth is I never really thought they nailed where the bands are when I saw it in 99. And even the role from where the bands are into working on the highway, it works really well. And that was just a fun segment of the show. And while it may have been expected, Listening to it all these years later, there is a spark there. It's undeniable. 
going back to where the bands are, as you said, they I don't think they ever really nailed it, especially especially Clarence. I never thought that he really got the sax solo down and that, but here everybody sounds great. Uh, they really do hit it hit it hard. And I think one thing I really love about the opening song, My Love Will Not Let You Down, is that they have the drum intro. And then when the band kicks in, especially the guitars, as you said, it is just, it's like a freight train. It's right there. It's, and that's a, that's a pretty cool moment in, in the show, just in and of itself. And you know, the band must have been amped up to be in that building, coming back to the States the first time they had played together officially. Now, yes, they had played Asbury, but that's different. And, and we were both at the Asbury shows and they were really wonderful experiences, but this is on a totally different level. And I would expect that the band was treating it that way. And I had decided to come in later because the stand was so long. I certainly wasn't <laughs> going to sit in New York for 15 shows. And I knew I would miss some cool stuff. And even within this basic set list, the streets of Philadelphia and the back streets, a beautiful pairing. And those are identical to 718, which is part of the reason why we were a little thrown that this was released so closely to to that release, two consecutive Christmas releases. But we'll talk a little bit more about the choice and what might have been going on in a little while. What we need to focus on here is maybe the, the way that the songs evolved. Uh, I thought Land of Hope and Dreams, uh, Another one, not, yeah. quite as, not quite as powerful as it was uh, a year later at the Garden. Um, it seems like the drum start is normal. Then it, it feels like his guitar is just kind of just kind of noodling with it. He's, he, he's not really playing hard, if if that's if if that's a word to to describe it. Whereas later on, I mean, he was hitting that that riff hard, and then Danny coming in just not just doesn't have this the, quite the same power as as it did a year later. So everything is really still evolving. Even the even the Tenth Avenue uh, stick in the middle with the band intros, as well as the light of day rap. You can you can see and and hear where uh, where they're going with it because uh, he was still still changing things. It was developing to be sure, and you got all the various band intros here. You got Patty singing a little of Rumble Doll, and it it had a rawness to it. I think at that point he was still sort of going with the flow. A little bit later, it became a little bit canned. Although those shows were amazing. And certainly by the time we got to the garden, which is still my favorite stand of the reunion era, but I, I do think we'll agree that on 10th Avenue and perhaps a little bit on light of day, by then it had, it had become too sticky. Um, yeah, but I think he, he found a, a stick that works. It evolved. He modified things. And as you noted, rather, Patty sings Rumble Doll, and she was the only one who got a who got a spotlight on her doing something solo uh, as the tour progressed. I mean, on, on this one, you still had everybody doing a few, uh, a few riffs of their, on their, on their instrument uh, during the, during the intros. And at a, at a later show, actually at a previous show, uh, Gary did fire. And then, and then he also did it again on July 29th. So I kind of missed that as, as the tour progressed, but yeah, I could, but I kind of see where he would getting rid of that kind of did save some time. I don't know. Well, we'll have to, this is 18 minutes here at 10th <laughs> Avenue. I don't know what it was at the garden. It wasn't much shorter, but that's, that's well, it gave him more time to, to 
do his his shtick without before he got to the band that doing is their thing. Now, another thing that hit me listening to this show, the Thunder Road, and I know there's a lot of people who throughout the reunion tour felt that Thunder Road was a little bit neutered. I don't know. By the time we got to the garden, I felt it was better, but I do hear it in this show. I I think that Thunder Road sort of lacks a little bit of power. Did you pick that up? Uh, You know, I I didn't, but I I think I can understand what you're talking about. He was still kind of ambivalent. He almost like he couldn't figure out whether he wanted to do the band version or still do the the acoustic version that he that he had done in 92 93. So he was I think ambivalent or unsure at that point about his approach to the performance of Thunder Road and ba- basically towards the E Street band I I think at the time. Well, it was really reflected in how he treated the crowd in Thunder Road, especially some nights he would sort of invite the crowd to sing the the lines that we've sung all these years and other times he wouldn't. But even when he had the crowd sing it, he sort of stepped on it in a <laughs> singing in a different cadence than he yeah. normally would. Ambivalence may be the right word because that is really what it seemed. And it must have been a difficult position coming back to Jersey and knowing that there are certain songs that people are going to want to hear. And as we know, and as we've talked about many times, Actually, he left out a very large number of songs that people really wanted to hear because he did so little off Born in the USA. None of the hits as reflected in this show. So I guess he probably felt in the encores, of course, he had to do Born to Run. And I guess he felt he had to do Thunder Road. But yeah, ambivalence is the right word because it didn't seem like his heart was fully in it. No, but at the same time, he had done Thunder Road every night in Europe. So I don't know... Here he was three months later, still ambivalent about it, but maybe it was because he was home or he was in New Jersey where, you know, he didn't feel exactly uh, totally embraced back in 92, but um, that's, that's a different story as well. Well, let's talk about the choice because this was a bit of a curveball. The last Christmas release was July 18th, 1999, which was the second show of this 15 night stand. Then they took a break for most of 2023, as we expected, because of the tour. And then, of course, unfortunately, as we know, the tour got cut short. There was a release which we covered from Philadelphia 2009 a couple of weeks ago, and we were expecting a Christmas release, and this is what landed. I don't think people were expecting that it would be another show from the Meadowlands stand, much less back-to-back shows, two releases out of three that a total that from the last 13 months. Just from that perspective, it was an odd choice. If it had been, say, one of the shows from the Garden in, in 2000, or maybe a show from, from Philly uh, a couple months later, I think it would have been a little bit more understandable. But the fact that it was the, literally the show right before the previous one, the July 18th show, I think that really raised some eyebrows. And... I think a lot of us were expecting or hoping for, I don't know where the line is, that we were going to get the third Passaic show from 78 or maybe a Tower show from 75. I think after after a year of 20, 2023 releases, tour releases, and then the two uh, archive releases were from the reunion era, that we felt we were due, due back for a classic era. And the fact that it wasn't and that the show has never been really spoken about in, in high regard, as, as you were hinting at earlier, that it really was a surprise and, and a, an initial, honestly, a disappointment. I thought 
I was like, really? This, I mean, it feels like there's very little here that has not been released, even from this tour, except, as you pointed out, where the bands are. But then again, once I got listening, uh, all those disappointments faded away. Hi, I'm Hal Schwartz from Numb But The Brave, and I want to tell you about our exciting new sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that puts your music into online stores and streaming services like Spotify. You keep 100% of your royalties. The DistroKid app is packed with features. You can check your streaming stats from Apple and Spotify, upload lyrics and song credits. You can also get notified via push notifications when you've earned royalties. With Mixia, a powerful tool for those without access to professional mastering engineers, users can put the finishing touches on their track in minutes. There's a simple interface that is easy to use even if you're a novice creator. It's only $99 for a year with unlimited mastered tracks. DistroKid also has a new feature called Instant Share that allows you to easily share large files securely, send tracks to collaborators, booking agents, and anyone else you want to hear your work. Your music will stream at the highest quality so you can make a great impression. And the artwork files look great too. So check out DistroKid through None But The Brave special link and receive 30% off your first year. DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Once again, DistroKid.com slash VIP slash MBTB. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, you're right, because it does make for a good listen. It also, undeniably, an odd choice, as we're discussing. I think that one of the things is, if they were going to go back to the Meadowlands 99, of course, there were shows later in the stand, which are quite different from this one, most specifically August 11th. Now, we don't know if they have August 11th for sure, although their pattern seems to have been at the very minimum at these Meadowland stands to record the beginning of the stand, which we have here the first two nights and the end of the stand. And you would certainly think that at the end of a 15-night stand in New Jersey, they were rolling tapes. If they weren't, that's a, a big oversight. So it would be nice to get some of the shows from later in the stand when things developed quite a bit especially the 11th where New York City Serenade was played for the first time in almost a quarter century. Uh, Just an incredible moment that really is hard to put into words. But I'm guessing based on what we know, especially since you do expect they're going to pause the series again in 2024, right? I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Come, come March. It's that's it for another six, six to eight months. To me, is the tour was originally scheduled to go to December 12th. That was going to be the final show of 2023. And I'm wondering now if they weren't going to put out a Christmas archive at all this year. Now, we've definitely gotten them every other year, but they've never toured deep into December during the time they've been doing the archive series. And if the last show was December 12th, Based on how the things have been going this year, Altshuler still would have been working on the tour releases, no? Yeah, they would have had to have really planned ahead uh, had the tour gone on as scheduled if they wanted to have a 
have a holiday release. Uh, as you said, the shows were going through middle of December and Alchilla would, would have been mixing, mixing those shows up through the end of end of December up, up to Christmas Eve or, or later. And so they would have had to have something ready far, you know, way before December if they wanted to do it. And so I just wonder if the fact that once they canceled the tour or postponed the tour and they said, okay, let's get it going again, it takes longer than people really realize uh, to, to get, to get these shows because they have to be chosen. Then they have to be pulled. And it's not like you and I pulling up our external hard drive and just, you know, copying flax to, to the cloud or, or to our local hard drive. Um, they, they have to go in, they have to find it, even if it's, whether it's tape or some kind of digital format, it's still 48 tracks worth. And that's not, that's not a quick process. It has to be converted to a, a format that Alchilla can mix with. So it just takes long. And they already did one just a few weeks ago, the Philly 09 show, as you said earlier. And so I wonder if there was something else that they had in mind that they wanted to release, but they just couldn't, they just couldn't finish it. And so this was something that was more readily available once something they kind of maybe even had mixed previously. And that makes sense. And that's why, as I was thinking about it, and I realized when the tour was going to end, I, I sort of give them a little mulligan here. It's a, a good show to listen to. It's not one I'm going to personally listen to very much in the future. It's not a show that I attended. And we know there are other very worthy shows from the reunion tour when they can get to them. But if that's what developed here, then no release is not as good as a release, right? Yes. Uh, something is better than nothing. And it's, you know, it's not a bad show that happens a lot with not a lot, but that happens with these, with this, with this series, you, you get a show that never really gained much attention. I'm thinking of that Chicago 99 show that they released and then they do it in this format. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, this, this is really good uh, because you hear everything. There is no, there's a lot of, a lot of times there's a prejudice because based on the tape, like, oh, it's not a good tape. Thus. I'm not going to listen to it that much. Thus, I'm not going to think highly of it. I mean, that that does happen. And that you can't do that anymore. You hear the full band. As you said, there's excellent instrument separation. The guitars sound amazing throughout. And and it does sound like they're having fun back, back in New Jersey. So it does make for a good listen. There's not a lot unique about this one. But at the same time, what is here sounds sounds phenomenal. And I just wanted to add one thing because there's been talk about the historical nature of the show. I think Eric Flanagan's notes talk about that, that it was the first show back on U.S. soil. You had said that at the very beginning of this episode. And I think on this tour, especially since we had 718, I don't find that all that compelling, but I do want to put out into the ether the idea. We've talked about this show before. If they ever do want to release a show from the Meadowlands, the first show back on U.S. soil that was historical. There was a show seven years earlier, July 23rd, 1992, when Bruce stepped on that stage for the first time without the E Street Band. Now, that's a compelling <laughs> historical show to reflect what took place when Bruce had to take the stage and had no E Street Band and was with the solo band that he had put together and the stories have always been that he was very nervous before that show backstage. And that is a 
fascinating show to have attended, and it was it will be, I think, a fascinating show to listen to should they release it. So I'm just putting out my two cents there. <laughs> the other thing is that show contains the solo electric version of Dancing in the Dark, which is not released yet, which is a shame because that is a stunner. And I agree with you a hundred percent. I was at that show as well, and. And you're right. Dancing in the Dark sounds amazing. It's the last version or performance, rather, of With Every Wish. And yeah, that was that was a, an interesting show. I was going to mention what you said about Bruce being nervous. And then there was a time during the show where he said, yeah, I moved to L.A. And people started booing. He said, oh, OK, I can, you know, I can take it. I've grown. And so that was kind of a humorous little moment. But at the same time, there was a little bit of of truth to it. And there was. It, and yeah, I would love to have one that released. That would that would be my next choice from from that stand. To be perfectly honest, it just failed just for the dancing and with every wish. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It'll be interesting to see January. Do we have a chance of another release, or do That's we a expect good question. the That's a the good entire question. year is going to be paused right now? Uh, I hope, I hope they, not. I hope not the whole year. I would I would like to think that. It could be one or two releases before the tour starts, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Just just hope, and I'll just enjoy listening to this one. And I'm still enjoying the, the Philly uh, 09 release. That that version of What Love Can Do is uh, is pretty darn cool. It really is. That's actually a show that I've listened to a number of times now since it came out. I, you forget because the early part of that tour was – a little on the iffy side that by the time they got to the fall, they were really firing on all cylinders and those album shows really did work well. And they went out on a high note. And every time I listen to one of those shows, because I know it's one of the final shows Clarence is playing with the band, there's a certain poignancy to it as well. So that really was a, an outstanding release. And I really like the post-album sequence of Sherry Darling, Human Touch, Long Walk Home. I think that's just a phenomenal threesome, even, even after Sunny Day. Yes, it is. And with that, I think we'll wrap things up. We're looking forward to a big 2024. Hopefully, we'll have not only archive releases to talk about, but perhaps there'll be some official releases, either a new material or from the vault. That would be great. And of course, we've got a full year of touring ahead and we'll be previewing the tour in an upcoming episode. So with that, let me just say that None But The Brave is presented by Evergreen Podcast and produced by Bull Market Entertainment. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash Podcast. On Twitter, find us at mbtbpodcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road, and uh, here's to a great 2024. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast.